May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I think that is officially the longest gospel reading in the entire calendar of the church year. Last week's reading about the Samaritan woman at the well was also very long, and that reading is really sort of two stories joined at a certain point. And last week I thought, well, these could be divided, and you could have one reading about this and one reading about that, and they were really two different parts of Scripture. This story is long, and I think it tells two stories or makes two points, but they're very tightly integrated, and so they can't really be separated out into two smaller pieces of Scripture. So I'm going to try to address both of the points that I think are at issue in this reading, and as briefly as I can. The first point is about healing. This is a story about healing. And the other point is about sin. This is an argument about sin and what it is. To the first point about healing. In the symbolic world of the New Testament, to be blind is to misunderstand the truth about God and what God is like and how God acts. And in the New Testament, who God is and what God is like and how God acts are revealed to us in human form in the person of Jesus. So to apprehend Jesus and to understand that Jesus reveals God's nature is to see is to comprehend, to understand the truth about God. To be blind is to misunderstand, to not comprehend this truth. The same goes for being in the dark. Language in the New Testament about darkness and light is about comprehending or not comprehending the truth about God. So this story, like all healing stories in the New Testament, is a story about somebody coming to a new understanding of what God is like and how God acts. It's not just a medical miracle, individually enacted on one person for the sake of that person's sole benefit. It is a symbolic story about the nature of God and our relationship and what happens when we have a new understanding of God. It's like seeing for the first time. But even in terms of medical miracles, blindness remains a stubborn problem for the world. So the symbolic nature of the language doesn't make it any less difficult for us to experience what's being described in the Gospels. I am reminded of a story that I read uh, written by a neurologist named Oliver Sacks. Many of you have probably read his essays. He's published widely. And in 1995, he wrote a book called An Anthropologist on Mars. And like all his books, it's a collection of essays. One of them is the story of a man named Virgil. Virgil was born blind. In his case, the blindness was not neurological or due to damage to the optic nerve, but was due to having been born with massive cataracts behind the lenses of his eyes. Just otherwise... In every other respect, the mechanics of his eyes were perfect. They should have worked fine, but they had these big cataracts in them. 
Virgil was in his 40s by the time surgeons had perfected the technique of removing those kinds of cataracts. And so it was decided that he should undergo that surgery and after having lived his entire life as a blind man, suddenly be given the gift of sight. Sounds pretty good, right? So they went for it. And what they discovered, and the reason why it's a neurologist telling this story and not a surgeon or an ophthalmologist, is that sight is not merely a matter of the function of the eyes and the transmission of sensory data through the optic nerve. It turns out that the brain also grows and develops the capacity for understanding vision and sensory input through the eyes. And a person born blind does not have the mind to comprehend and make sense of the world of visual sensory input. So Virgil's eyes worked for the first time in his over 40 years of life, but his mind was incapable of processing what it saw. It had no way to make sense of what things looked like. Like every other blind person, Virgil had developed a way of encountering the world through through the use of his other senses, through hearing and smell and touch and taste. But his, his mind was incapable of processing what his eyes delivered. It turned his world upside down, and the results were very tragic. It was profoundly disorienting for him, and he spiraled into a terrible depression and endured one sickness after another, and less than a year after his surgery, he was dead of pneumonia. In this story, in the biblical, the symbolic world of the New Testament, the blind persons might be the doctors who assumed that through their surgical intervention they could restore or provide for Virgil something they felt he lacked. A counterpart to this story is something I encountered earlier this week in the form of a YouTube video by a blind comedian whose name escapes me at the moment. But in this short YouTube video, the blind comedian was listing all of the best things about being blind. My favorite of which was he said, sometimes people on the street just take pity on me and they give me money. (laughs) Oh, you poor man. They say, here's a $10 bill. And he says, then I I have to assume it's a $10 bill until I take it to the store and find out it wasn't. But anyway, (laughs) all the best things about being blind. And he says, you know what the best thing about being blind is? I don't see race. I don't know from beauty. He said, I know people by what comes out of their mouth and by what's in their heart. That's how I know people. This is a very biblical experience. And it's a good segue to the other point that this long reading makes today which is the argument that Jesus and the Pharisees and the blind man are having about the nature of sin. Remember that the story starts by the disciples of Jesus asking him, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, a framework of understanding in which sin is a technical matter, and for our sins, we receive payment of some sort. Jesus is inviting us to imagine a different way of thinking about what sin is and how God responds to it. 
in the framework of the institutionalized religious authorities, right, that's me, it was clear that this man was a sinner, was born in sin, that's why he was blind, that's why he's a beggar, and that's why they don't need to listen to him. He is outside their framework, the economy of their understanding their relationship to God, which is established like an actuary table, right? Charts and rules and regulations and conditions and laws. And that's, that's the institutional religion. Now, to be fair, that's us. Right? We're a church with traditions and rules and laws and actuary tables. But we're a means to an end. If we confuse the means for the end, we make the same mistake the Pharisees make. Because we say, then, that there's no more that God can do. It's all done, and we know it all, and it's in our books. So all we need to do is consult our books, and it tells us what God has done, and, and we'll tell you what you need to do to make up for your sin. What the blind man discovers, and what Jesus is offering, is another story, which is that God is not done with creation. God is not done making new life. God is not done healing restoring and renewing the world, and us as individuals. And particularly, that the places where God is interested in continuing God's work are those places that we experience as defects. The parts of ourselves as individuals and as a community that are perfected are boring to God. Done. Move on. The parts where God is interested and is still at work are the parts we would probably rather not deal with. But it is because the man born blind regains his sight and understands a new thing about God that Jesus can have this argument with the Pharisees to say to them, if you say, we understand, then you are... If you were blind then you would see. Since you say, we see, your sin remains. In other words, the degree to which we have claimed to know the mind of God is the degree to which we limit ourselves and remain in our sinful, small-minded way of thinking about God. Therefore, those final words of the reading Uh, stand for us as a caution. (laughs) So I hope that my sermon this morning didn't make too much sense, because if you think you understood it, you remain in your sin. If you remain blind to the meaning, then you see. You see? In the letter to the Ephesians, which was our opening reading, the author of that letter uh, prays earlier in that letter, prays for his audience, the congregation at Ephesus, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is the meaning of the story of this morning's gospel. And so we pray for ourselves in Lent and all year long that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened and the degree to which they do become enlightened, may that only serve to encourage us to move 
further out into the dark places where we don't yet see what God is doing, how God is acting, and whom we might exclude from God's community, but who God is bringing in and revealing to us through that activity how God is really acting with healing and mercy for the whole world. Amen.